Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything that you want. As we kick off another week of fun here, you can join us at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. In the studio tonight, it's Ian. Nicholas Mountaineer. And Aria. Uh, we're going to start out tonight with a special guest. Normally, he calls into the show just as, a, as an unscheduled caller, but tonight uh, he's scheduled. Uh, he's Greg in New York, who also happens to be one of the guys behind Intercoin. Uh, I, I would, would it be right to call you the founder uh, or co-creator? What's the, the proper terminology, Greg? I think so. I founded the project, so... You could call me the founder. All right. So founder of Intercoin, which is something we've talked about a lot over the last year or so here on Free Talk Live. And recently, Intercoin came back on board as uh, as a sponsor here on Free Talk Live. And uh, unfortunately, due to some ridiculous bail conditions that I'm underneath, I am not legally allowed to talk to Mark Edge. Hmm. And uh, Mark, for listeners who maybe are new to the show, if you're, if you're new to the show, you might not even know who Mark is because he hasn't <laughs> been on uh, very much at all in, in recent he's months. He's on vacation from all the hard work he's been doing. Yeah, well, he's kind of like on a permanent vacation, it, it seems like, and he is... Uh, he has got to love it, man. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's, it's nice to be Mark in that case, but <laughs> it's also not nice to be Mark because apparently he's losing his mind and uh, claims that post his COVID infection, he claims he's more forgetful now than he's ever been. Yes, he provided us with a live read and doesn't recall... Having written it, yeah. So Mark's one of Mark's roles with Free Talk Live is he kind of handles the uh, the sales end of things. So um, Aria, you and I, we handle the program end of things, and Mark does whatever needs to be done in order to facilitate bringing people on as sponsors of, of Free Talk Live. And usually that involves you know talking with a client about what do they want us to say. You know what are the as things of lately it involves more directing them to me. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so but like, enjoy your vacation, Mark. Yeah. Uh, so you know that it's sort of like well, okay, well, how can we you know make sure that the client gets what they want said on the air and fill all the holes and get things yep. done. Uh, and so, but some Mark, balls were dropped. So yeah, some balls get dropped, especially when I can't actually communicate with him, which is normally. An important factor in smooth operations of things here. So um, we've been promoting Intercoin and Intercoin.org, of course, is the website. Let's talk a little bit about what Intercoin is. What happened, though, just to to make sure our listeners understand what, what went wrong, was basically we started airing something that shouldn't have been airing in the last week or two. It wasn't like it was completely inaccurate, but it was like not quite to the level that I want things to be on the air. And so I talked with you about it over the weekend, Greg, and that's when we determined that Mark had submitted this particular ad copy to Aria and I way too early. And so I just want to have you on the show to kind of let our listeners know where exactly the Intercoin project is in its development. Um, but first, give us a pitch. You know, what is what is Intercoin? Sure. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to say uh, I'm a big fan of Mark. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, since I've called into the show, I think uh, he's been very helpful in many ways uh, in terms of, you know, the, educating me about the crypto space. And by the way, calling into the show in general with you guys, um, I was able to make the universal basic income part of Intercoin voluntary. So we actually now call it VBI, which is Voluntary Basic Income, which I cool. think no one else has done. Yeah. 
So, awesome work. So for a listener just tuning in for the first time, you know, we we go over brief thing uh, basics about Intercoin on the show, but you'd probably be the best person to talk about it. Somebody is brand new tuning in for the first time right now, and they're hearing us talking about this. What is Intercoin? Sure. So let me start at the beginning. So in the beginning, there was Bitcoin, and it was all right. It was nice, but it was supposed to be a peer-to-peer cash system. Mm-hmm. That was the title of Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper. Uh, somewhere around 2012 and 2013, people realized that it wasn't really acting like a cash system, meaning the, the dream was that people would pay each other in their day-to-day lives. You know, you go to dinner, you pay with Bitcoin and so on. But, uh, you know, having a blockchain, like uh, everyone has to use uh, the same uh, block, all transactions in the world would have to be winding up in the block. Uh, to put it in perspective, that's like infinite BitTorrent everyone would have to serve every file and every movie. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a bit overkill. It does solve the double spend problem, but, it, you know, it, it was hard. So about 2012, 13, Bitcoin started to become a sort of a store of value. That's what people said it was. And in 2013, I think there was someone um, uh, who wrote uh, HODL instead of HOLD because uh, they said they were drunk or who knows on the forum. I and think became, they were rushed. It, because, you know, the price of Bitcoin was crashing and they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want people to sell off. So they were just rushed and had a typo, hmm. as I understand or it. Or maybe they were rushed and drunk. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, it took on a life of its own, the whole thing. Yeah, it did. And, you know, and it became an attractive thing. Well, okay, Bitcoin's a store of value. Well, as you know, Roger Ver, he, you know, he heard your show and uh, he started Bitcoin Cash because he also felt... He didn't actually Bitcoin. start. I want to correct the history. Uh, Roger personally denies this uh he he says he did not start bitcoin cash he didn't even know about it until it had already um split off he just supported it right he he after you know assessing the situation he decided to throw his support behind bitcoin cash but as he would point out he also supports anything that works so roger has purchased dash he's purchased monero uh and he's publicly announced those things as well so roger just wants cryptocurrency to be used as peer-to-peer cash and so he'll support anything that that you know moves that ball forward anyway Go ahead. All right. So that's I didn't know that. Yeah. Actually, uh, sidebar, I, I think Elon Musk did not actually start Tesla. He bought it from uh, previous owners, but huh. I could be wrong. He, he started Dogecoin, didn't he? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get up in arms. Al Gore started the internet, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. So actually, so Intercoin uh, asks the question, what if crypto would actually go mainstream finally? What if communities would use crypto for more than just speculation and uh, investing in uh, in currencies, hoping that they will go up. Uh, perhaps, what would that look like? So Intercoin focuses on maximum utility and adoption. And so essentially, it would look like this. Any community in the world would be able to have its own currency, just the same way that, let's say, they have their own local area network and uh, they have their own Wi-Fi. And then what would happen would be that Intercoin interconnected all of these local currencies into one exchange, kind of like a little bit like Uniswap uh, or PancakeSwap, allowing you to trade one for the other, except it would be super easy. It would be like the Mac uh, brought personal computing to the masses because they basically were able to actually use the graphical user interface. So we wanted Intercoin to be something that's easy to use by anybody and seamless, but at the same time, you can earn coins in one community, 
and then spend them across a growing number of communities around the world. So that's the vision. And we thought that if that was the case, that would actually be a much more uh, adopted system of, mon- of money than Bitcoin would be. And, and so, you know, not to compete with Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin could be really and has held its value really well. And in fact, it's gone up in value. Uh, and it's only 21 million coins. So a lot of those characteristics are inherent in Intercoin itself. We just want to have local communities like sidechains uh, seamlessly hanging off of it rather than um, and take advantage of smart contracts. So let me ask this just to clarify something. Is Intercoin intended to be its own blockchain eventually? Because I know that right now there's the ITR token, and we will talk about that. That's that's on the uh, the Ethereum network. That's not the ultimate vision for Intercoin, though. What, can you clear, clear that up for me? That's right. So the ITR token is the investor token. ITR, uh, happily, it turned out ITR is also letters of the word investor. Uh, so basically, if you want to speculate or you want to buy uh, a coin, you can buy ITR. Uh, the same way that you might want to buy anything else that might go up in value, uh, depending on how things go. But the thing is that uh, then uh, Intercoin, which I'll get to after the break. Stand is- by. Great. We'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up here in moments. Because uh, the, as I understand it, it's the ITR token that is currently for sale via Intercoin.org. And we'll explain why someone might want to pick some of those things up. It's, we're pretty early on in this whole process. Uh, so you you know it's definitely an early adopter phase here. Six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. It's free talk live. This is free talk live. The number if you want to join us here six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. You can bring up anything you want though. Right now, if you're going to call in, you do need to have a question for Greg who is uh, the guy behind Intercoin, the founder of Intercoin. He's certainly not the only guy behind it. There's a, there's a big team uh, involved there, and you can learn more about them and the project over at intercoin.org. Here in the studio tonight, you've got Ian. Beakless Mountaineer. And Arya. Uh, so a lot of our listeners are probably brand new to this, so Greg is kind of going over uh, the basics, the idea that this is a a way for communities to launch their own cryptocurrency or their own token is is now there is a difference right so like launching a token you can normally just go on to you know some website and say i want to make aria coin and then our aria token and then you can put in uh you know you want a billion of them or a million or 20 million or whatever and then poof there's 20 million aria token i don't on, know about those but i have made erc20 tokens before that's what i'm talking about on yeah. erc20 which is the uh the, the ethereum blockchain so it's super easy to do this when uh, somebody creates one of these community currencies, Greg, is this going to be a token on the Intercoin blockchain? Again, we're talking about the vision for down the road, not that this is available immediately. Uh, or is it going to be its own cryptocurrency? How's that going to work? So at the moment, right, Intercoin uh, lets you you know, start a coin on Ethereum, but also any Ethereum-compatible network, such as Binance Smart Chain, Matic, which is now called Polygon, as well as uh, dozens of others that support the Ethereum uh, virtual machine. Even Solana will be supporting the EVM. It's sort of the, the one that all the smart contracts are written for at the moment. So um, I have a question then. Um, if they can already create a token using ARC20 and Ethereum, 
why would they do that with Intercoin? What I suppose what you're presenting as Intercoin is a competitor to Ethereum? Not necessarily. So you can think of it like this. ERC-20 is a standard. Uh, think of it like HTTP is a protocol. Uh, you know, um, any web server can, can connect to a website. So to say that, yes, you can put up a website uh, with some text, but that's only the beginning. Intercoin doesn't just let you make an ERC-20 token, even though the tokens that you have would run, you know, as an ERC-20 token, for example. Intercoin helps you to create your community coin and consult with you uh, soup to nuts. Uh, in a way, uh, you know, first you have to issue your coin, then you have to give it into the hands of your uh, members of your community. Then you'd like to have the vendors around, let's say, your college campus, just to give an example, accept the coin in the local cafeteria and bookstore and so on, and then cash it out. Then we help you to join the Intercoin network and essentially join a growing number of communities where the coin can be exchanged for other coins. And all of this can be done seamlessly through the Intercoin app that will be coming out. Um, uh, and real quick, uh, when you say exchanged yeah. for the other coins that are on that network, do you mean like uh, through the app or just uh, by trading with people? Uh, well, trading, uh, no, through the app. So uh, it, it's all open source and uh, open protocols. So it doesn't have to be our app. But essentially, it's like there are many wallets for Ethereum. So the Intercoin app would just be a very friendly wallet. I can basically, uh, the analogy would be, Right now, the crypto space is sort of like DOS or Unix, where you have to type commands, right? Back in the day, that wasn't very user-friendly, and most people did not use computers for that reason. Then finally, when we got the internet, uh, and that became super easy to connect, and then we got the uh, graphical user interface also, and the iPhones and so on, now everyone is addicted to their phones, and everyone is constantly checking. So what changed? The technology became friendlier and easy to use. That's mm. the point of Intercoin. So you're saying Intercoin will take some existing technology and make it accessible by a larger swath of the population? Oh, yeah, but Intercoin does way more than that. In the same way that, let's say, Macintosh applications or Windows applications uh, brought in the idea of a graphical user interface, Intercoin has applications out of the gate that we'll be launching with, like voting. You'll be able to vote as a community and have democratic policy decisions about how many coins you want to give out or how much universal basic income you might want to give out uh, to, let's say, the students at the university and so on. Mm -hmm. All these things are all interconnected. And by the way, the Consumer Price Index just came out in the United States. It's very coarse. I think there's about five regions in the whole United States that they, that they survey. With Intercoin, you would know from the blockchain data, the statistics on how the money is being used. So if I airdrop money to, let's say, Haiti after an earthquake, I can see how the money statistically on what is it being spent. That's the idea of Intercoin, tying it all together. There's voting, governance, universal basic income, smart economies. That's really what we're building. So this is bigger than, to, just to bring up something Aria brought up during a break, this is why you would say somebody that wants to have this community coin wouldn't want to just adopt something like Dash or Bitcoin Cash because they would want something that's more customizable for 
what they're trying to do? Yeah, it's a bit like saying, uh, permit me to say this, it's like having notepads to write some text versus having, let's say, Google Docs, where you can collaborate on documents, share them and insert pictures and do it all in real time and and get things done. That's currently the state of the, uh, the crypto space is a bit like DOS or Notepad or something like that. And we want to make it much more user centric. So I had a couple of questions about the the voting thing because that's definitely something that very much interests me as far as the the potential for uh, distributed blockchain technology in general. Now, do you have a way where you can definitely check all of the votes, but you can't see who voted which way? Yeah, it actually turns out to be uh, somewhat of a hard problem. If you are able to ensure that each person has exactly one account, you can do Mm -hmm. a lot of cool things. Uh, First, you can do a universal basic income because obviously if you have multiple accounts, you can cheat and get more money. Secondly, you can vote. Uh, But in order to do that, there has to be some central entity. It can be called, you know, uh, some uh, agency of the organization or of the community, whatever it is, would give everyone one token. And then they would have to go through a mixer to make sure that you cannot, no one can trace where those. Uh-oh. I think we one lost him. Nope. Sorry, you were saying no, so go through the mixer so no one can trace what? So no one could know uh, who was associated with which token, mm. but you need to have make sure that everyone has only one token. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's, cool stuff. let's talk about the, uh, the, the current status of the project. There's this ITR token. That is something that was being sold a year ago when we were first talking about this. We could only really promote this to what they call accredited investors. And this is basically a U.S., well, at least those in the U.S. There are people outside of the U.S. You don't have to be accredited from what I understand. But due to all the stupid SEC rules, uh, you had to be an accredited investor, which means you had to have a bunch of money in order to, uh, to pick up these investor tokens. That situation has changed now, correct? Meaning that anyone can, uh, can pick these things up? In a large way, that's correct. I want to hear more Uh, about that if you can. Stand by. Uh, Greg is with us here. He's the founder of Intercoin. And uh, he's he's got a limited time, so this next segment's going to be the last one uh, with Greg for tonight. But I'm sure you know we'll be hearing about the various different upgrades and things like that as they come around. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. You can join us. This is Free Talk Live. Brute force, intransigent defiance, adamantine will. These are the hallmarks of the AI tank. These gigantic machines have the firepower of an army, but they also have their own sense of honor and duty. When the world breakers arrive, battle will be joined, planets will shake, and war and peace will never be the same again. World breakers, stories from David Weber, Larry Correa, and more. Available August 3rd from BaneBooks.com. It is Free Talk Live. You can dial in here and join us if you want. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. It's Ian Peakless Mountaineer and Aria in the studio here tonight. We do have uh, Greg with us. He's the founder of Intercoin at intercoin.org. And we've been talking with Greg, just kind of getting the basics about you know, wh- what is the project all about and where is it currently at uh, in its process. There's a, there's a, one of those roadmap things over at intercoin.org. So if you want to check that out, you can. Um, at this point, 
the Intercoin token that's available is actually what's called the Investor Token. So it's ITR. It's on the Ethereum blockchain at this time. And last year, I was mentioning that what we were promoting last year was that people could, if they were in the United States, if they are what's called accredited investors, they could buy this thing, which basically means that most of our listeners couldn't buy it. Um, Greg, how has that changed now? Yeah, so um, basically, oh, by the way, I, I should say, I think I might have uh, one more segment. If you guys have more questions, I'm happy to answer. Okay. Um, yeah, so so Intercoin, uh, let me kind of back up a second. Uh, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, was set up in 1933 by the U.S. government because in 1933 they said there's a lot of people who were, you know, hawking all kinds of crazy uh, things that uh, to grandmas and other things. Uh, so they didn't want fly by night uh, things like this, and they made the Securities and Exchange Commission, and then they made all these. Uh, the Howey test comes out of the this court case. Uh, basically, it says that if people have an expectation of profit uh, from the uh, you know from the actions of others, and uh, they're kind of just giving over their money and hoping that things will go well, then that is governed by U.S. securities laws. Uh, so. I wanted to say this. I, I want to say, yes, obviously, like all government regulation, it has unintended consequences where the rich get richer because only the rich can invest early on in these uh, things. That's right. what it means to be an accredited investor. Uh, having said that, there are exemptions to um, securities uh, having to register with the SEC. One of those exemptions is that if you are an investor and you held for one year, even if you're in the United States, you can then resell uh, to others, uh, having shown that you are, you know, in good faith invested and you weren't just a guy who is an underwriter or trying to resell right away. Uh, so because we had so many investors already, you know, buying over the last two, three years, uh, now people who come in, they can buy from either the non-U.S. investors or the accredited investors that held and so forth. So mm-hmm. literally there's now a secondary market that is available over Uniswap and other things where it's starting to become available as people add liquidity to the liquidity pools and so forth. So that's starting to uh, come into There's the There's actually a page on the intercoin.org website which lists people who I presume are the early investors that have a, f- a fairly large amount of the ITR tokens that are interested in selling. I don't know if they're interested in selling them all at once or if they're willing to sell par- uh, portions, but there's email addresses for all those people there. So there's, you know, you can do it the old-fashioned way by pinging those people and saying, hey, you know, you'd like to buy their uh, their ITR tokens. And then there's also, like you said, um, sites like Uniswap, although right now that's probably not the best method because it's pretty early on. There's not a lot of liquidity on that uh, that particular pool. And it's also hard to find it and i imagine that's something that you guys are going to be looking to remedy pretty soon yeah i would encourage anyone listening to this who might be interested to just go to intercoin.org and fill in your email join the community and the team will reach out to you uh as you know you guys probably experienced as well so the team reaches out if you're not an accredited investor we'll guide you on how to install an ethereum wallet and then if you can reach out to those people who want to sell on the bulletin board, we spoke to our lawyers, uh, we spoke to legal advisors, and they said, yeah, bulletin board where you simply list the sellers is fine. Uh, there's a couple other things that are fine. So, yeah, we just go to intercoin.org, look around, and if you fill in your email, the team can help you. We can also join our Telegram, which is the Intercoin 
official chat on Telegram as well. Okay, very cool. Do you guys have any other questions at the moment uh, for Greg about Intercoin? I do not. He's been really thorough, and I'm glad to have the clarifications that we've had tonight. I mean, especially in regard to the grand scheme of Intercoin, because he's absolutely right. Uh, cryptocurrency isn't exactly easy to use for the average person. No, not yet. And the average person sometimes doesn't even know what a web browser is. <laughs> right? They, they think Google Chrome is their email or whatever. Mm. So it has to be made more user-friendly. Uh, it I'm... has to be. And, uh, you know, if we don't act, we're going to be living in a world where Amazon and all these governments with the Chinese yuan, digital yuan, digital dollar, the central bank digital currencies, as they're called, they're going to now take over and it's going to be more centralized, more centralized than the current banking system, which at least has underwriters in different banks deciding where and how to issue the loans. Now we're going to have one centralized central bank currency and that would be very interesting to see how the monetary policy happens so intercoin is very important because if like i always say if we don't do something the government will and that's what happened with the pandemic and that's happening everywhere so i just want to say one last thing about this because Mm -hmm. i think it's important the reason why we have two tokens the investor token and the intercoin is because we want to keep speculators almost out of the intercoin token. Most uh, projects like Telegram and Tick Messenger and others, they raise money with the same token that they intend to become a currency. And there's a fundamental contradiction there, the SEC aside and everything like that. If one is buying something as an investment, they expect it to go up uh, because the ecosystem grows and, and so forth. If someone is buying uh, intercoin or utility token, to back their city's economy, all they really want is to make sure that it's stable and not going to go down, uh, not necessarily that it's going to go on 1,000x. So whenever a city installs the 5G or infrastructure of any kind, water for their citizens, they're not doing it so they can resell the water later at a profit or the 5G. They're doing it for the utility that it brings their community. So Intercoin embraces that and says, if you want to invest in the project, go ahead and buy the ITR token. And if you want uh, to be a community, to start your own community, reach out to us, by the way. This is the other thing. You don't have to be an accredited investor. If you have a business, you have any kind of community, reach out to us at intercoin.org and we can get in touch and we can help build the community currency for you, help build your voting system and everything else for you. That's what we can do. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the other token, which doesn't exist yet, right? It, the, the there's ITR, the which is the investor token that's available. That is you can go to intercoin.org and learn about how to acquire that. Um, but this uh, the inter, which is the actual you know eventual intercoin token, it's not out yet, right? Right, inter is supposed to be the bridge currency between communities. It's mm-hmm. the currency you can think of it like gold. So when banks needed to settle their balances and differences, they would use gold and they would move gold from one place to the other. It's a bit like the Federal Reserve System where the banks are moving things uh, around uh, with the ACH, automated clearinghouse payments. Uh, So it's not exactly the same, but Intercoin is, is used in that way. And so it has different properties than an investor, because if you get investors to buy it, they can also dump it in the future. And so you've got to make sure that there is stability in what could be a global uh, financial you know, system between communities that can help uh, serve one another. Essentially. So does that mean the inter uh, token will not be for sale? How's, how's that going to work? 
So the insert token is something that communities would want to buy. So mm -hmm. if you have a community, uh, you need to back your monetary supply with something. Otherwise, it's just monopoly money. So intercoin is that something. You buy intercoin as a community so that your vendors can then cash out uh, for this coin. And then uh, that system can let them trade it for anything. Or I should say will be able to uh, trade it for you know Bitcoin, for fiat, uh, on different exchanges. Also, my favorite, they can go to other communities. So you can earn coins on Wikipedia for writing articles, and then you can use those coins in a restaurant in Detroit, just sitting and eating and paying seamlessly. In theory, if Wikipedia had its own coin connected to uh, the intercoin system, it's interesting. Greg, thanks for coming on and giving us uh, the, the rundown here tonight. Definitely appreciate the clarification. Absolutely. Thank it's, you. Uh, Greg, he's the uh, creator there at Intercoin, and it's definitely something that I think we're going to be learning more about as, as time goes on and the system gets more advanced and more available. We're coming up here in moments. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever is on your mind. All you have to do is dial in at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Fauci uh, is calling for more mandates. The Joe Biden mandates didn't go far enough. We'll play the audio of what he's asking for coming up here in moments in the studio tonight it's ian peakless mountaineer and aria but you know since we started out talking about intercoin we can stay on the crypto topic i've got some interesting news about coinbase which is the big big player like one of the biggest players in the united states probably globally uh, as far as acquiring cryptocurrency goes coinbase is the devil it's <laughs> the Mount Gox of its time. They're the they're well. That's an old reference. Mount Gox was the very first crypto exchange that. Screwed, I mean, they were okay. They just they got hacked. Yeah, and screwed people, or it was an inside job, or something like that. I forget exactly what happened with Mount Gox, but some people got screwed uh, by them. And uh, Coinbase is like the big bank, basically of of crypto. They're not technically a bank. Actually, I don't think they filed to become a bank, unlike some of their they competitors. Will. But yeah, they like. They likely will. They're the Bank of America of cryptocurrency. Yeah, they're they're that kind of a big corporation that loves themselves some government regulators. Mm -hmm. Well, because they're Coinbase generally is the one who wants to write the regulations. So, yeah. And then a few days ago, I saw the CEO of Coinbase, Brian Armstrong, who has been the CEO of Coinbase as long as I can recall. He's the guy who I saw at a party. I, I've told the story a million times on the air, but for listeners just tuning in for the first time, uh, it was at one of these like shindigs at, the, uh, at a convention. It was a Bitcoin convention early on. I was standing there in a group of four people. I was one of the four. There was an attorney, this guy Brian Armstrong, and another guy from another now defunct uh, trading corporation and he and this uh brian armstrong from coinbase were talking about how they were going to create a white hats society of companies that would analyze the blockchain because remember bitcoin transactions are public uh so they would analyze the blockchain and then any cryptocurrency or any bitcoin that had gone through the hands of a illicit transaction meaning they could tell for instance if it had gone through the silk road at the time this underground drug marketplace so they could tell to an extent can't they they can tell because if they can, they can identify the wallet 
that the Silk Road was using. Oh, yeah. And then they can just say any Bitcoins that have gone through that wallet, we believe are, you know, part and parcel of some sort of criminal action, even though you could still go to the Silk Road and buy completely legal items. Yeah, you could buy a sofa on Silk Road if you wanted. You could buy books. You can buy what, you know, packing materials. There's all kinds of stuff. Of course, the Silk Road is closed, but I'm giving you an example of what it was like back then. And there's competitors that are similar to the Silk Road today. Uh, although most of these markets are now moving towards Monero because it's actually a privacy currency, and so they wouldn't be able to do this with that. But the idea was they would identify the bad Bitcoins, and then they would say, okay, well, these are black-marked Bitcoins. We're not going to let you deposit them into our service. But that just screws people who may have bought the Bitcoins yeah. not knowing it. Yeah, it would. Yeah, so if someone sells whatever on uh, on one of those uh, uh, illicit exchanges— yep. And then they come buy a, a sandwich from my shop, and I decide to try and uh, change that into a different thing or invest that in a different cryptocurrency. They get, oh, sorry, you got that from the wrong person. Yeah, that there's black Bitcoin. That is unwanted Bitcoin by these corporations. So they were gonna f- they were gonna form a, a group of corporations that would show the government how obedient. Hey, look, government, you didn't tell us to do this. We did this on our own. We want to show you how much we want to be regulated because that's so important. Yeah. Wouldn't that just encourage someone else to come along with a smaller exchange that does accept that? Yeah, except then they don't have the resources to fight the U.S. government that would crack down on them because of the regulations written by Coinbase and Kraken and Gemini. Mm. So what happened to Coinbase? Well, just a few days ago, Brian Armstrong, the very same CEO, took to Twitter to complain about his recent interaction with the SEC, the Federal Government's Securities and Exchange Commission. See, I have no sympathy for him because Coinbase entered into this sadomasochistic relationship with the government of their own accord. Not even re- The government didn't even ask them to do that. Just says, hey, here's a whip, daddy. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And then they go cry on Twitter about how their daddy treated them. And that's like what I want to share. For this. That's what I want to share with you is how Daddy is treating them. So you can. <laughs> you mean you know. when I signed this deal with the devil, it wasn't what I wanted to happen? <laughs> so I just thought this was pretty entertaining and instructive. Like when you get in bed with these people, you got to expect to get effed. Uh, so here's what happened. I'm just going to go through his Twitter posts. They actually did make a blog post about this with their like uh, chief legal officer writing it. But I want to read to you what the CEO was just in a like 20 part tweet multi-series of tweets because you can only tweet like uh, 240 characters at a time so you had to post 20 times all right so he says millions of crypto holders have been earning yield on their assets over the last few years it makes sense if you want to lend out your funds you can earn a return everyone seems happy and what he's referring to are a variety of different websites uh, out there now these are not decentralized finance sites these are centralized finance but they're outside of the banking system. Some of these sites, like, and I'm not gonna, I'm not endorsing any of these things. I'm just giving you examples of what they are. Nexo is one of them. Uh, Celsius is another, and there's others. Coin Loan is another. There's several of these. Things and what out these there. do is, you send them some amount of Bitcoin, and mm-hmm. they loan it to people, and then they pay you a certain amount of interest that you earn on the Bitcoin that you loan them. Correct? That's correct. And, and they, a lot of them get up to like 7, 8 to 10%. Yeah, on the on the stable so-called stable coins, you may get 10, 12, 14% return. APY or R, I forget which one, but you know, per year, you might be able to make that kind of return, which if you compare that to a bank account and your 0.025% interest if you're or whatever. Lucky. <laughs> I mean, if you go with an online bank where they don't have all the overhead that, you know, the big banks do, you might push close to 
0.75% or like 0.5% on, uh, on you know, putting your money in the bank. Two years ago, I had a bank close one of my accounts and they're still holding the money and they're still paying interest on the savings account. <laughs> this is a savings account, right? So yeah. it's got a better interest rate than others. Yeah. And it in the last two years, it's made like 12 cents in it's interest. Ridiculous. And it's not a totally inconsequential amount of money in there. It's just a, a laughably low interest rate. Well, I've seen circumstances on some exchanges where just ordinary people who, uh, especially with like uh, one of the uh, the stable coins, they'll loan it out and they'll get like 22% yearly interest rate. And I'm like, wow, normal individuals who now have the power of a credit card company. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty interesting stuff. And so some of these loans you can do with crypto, basically, if you already have crypto, you can get loaned another form of crypto. So if you have Bitcoin, but you want dollars, you don't have to sell your Bitcoin. You can loan the Bitcoin uh, or you can deposit the Bitcoin and then take a loan out based on that collateral, essentially. So, And then if Bitcoin goes up, you could essentially You pay the... back the loan and you get the, the Bitcoin back and it's gone up in value. Okay. So it's interesting. If it goes down, then they could liquidate the Bitcoin and that's bad for you. But ultimately, it's it's an interesting way to get dollars out of Bitcoin without without actually cashing it out, which is a legal act, as I understand it. Now, this isn't, I'm not giving legal advice here, but my understanding is if you sell Bitcoin in the United States, the IRS wants to tax that on capital gains, but loans are exempted from tax, uh, from capital gains tax, from what I understand. Interesting. So if you're taking a loan out using Bitcoin as, as you're using Bitcoin as collateral for that loan, that's not a capital gain because you're taking the risk on the loan. Anyway, let's go on with what Brian Armstrong has to say here. So he's pointing out that people are doing this. It's, this is in, There's a huge industry out there with billions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency that are deposited at these other companies that are then loaning those cryptos out and paying the people who deposited those cryptos fairly high percentage rates. Um, Bitcoin itself, you can get like between 4 and 7% on. The stable coins, it's like 10% or more. So it's very, very lucrative for people that are willing to let another company hold on to their coins. Because remember, mm, these also true. There, there's some risk here, which is that if this company that you gave your coins to decides to close up shop and you know run for the hills with your crypto, well, you get nothing. And there was, at that that a, ca- there was a Canadian exchange that it sounds like did essentially that last year. Where the guy faked his death. Was it that one? Yeah. Yeah. Or allegedly well, faked his death. He went to a part of the world famous for helping people fake their deaths, and whereupon died. he mysteriously died. <laughs> so. so Armstrong continues. He says a bunch of great companies in crypto have been offering versions of this for years. Coinbase came out recently and said we would be launching our own version. So they're late to the party. Like, you know, they're the big bank, right? Like, oh, crap. You know, these other other companies have been doing this now for four years. Some of these companies have been around since 2017, 2018. And now Coinbase is like, all right, we're jumping on the bandwagon. Well, they say we were planning to go live in a few weeks, so we reached out to the SEC. Oh, they brought it on themselves. To give them a friendly heads up and a briefing. They responded by telling us that this Lend feature is a security. He says, okay, well, that seems strange. How can lending be a security? So he asked the SEC to help us understand and share their view. We always make an effort to work proactively with regulators and keep an open mind. Yeah, how's that working out, dude? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to understand you when you have We their... always invite the vampire into the house, yeah. of course. I mean, he's literally filleting them as he's complaining about them. We'll tell you more about what he has to say coming up here in hour two. It's Free Talk Live. This message is for you if you are a polyamorous person or you're in an open relationship 
and you are struggling with jealousy, loneliness, and communication problems. Hello, my name is Jeremy West, and I am a polyamory coach with degrees in psychology and communications and five years of experience with polyamory. And for a limited time, I'm teaching a free online class just for polyamorous people or people in open relationships where you will discover a new, simpler, and unique way to uncover the secret that experienced poly people know about jealousy that you must know too, stop feeling lonely when your partner is out with another partner, and use the four key elements that will change the way you communicate forever. No more crying yourself to sleep when you're alone for a night, a weekend, or longer, and wondering if it's better to go back to a monogamous relationship. Sound good? Well then, go to jeremywest.net slash free class and register for my class now. Again, that's jeremywest.net slash free class, jeremywest.net slash free class. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. If you want to join us, you can. We're kicking off the second hour of the program. The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. You're in the studio tonight. You've got Ian. Because Mountain here. And Arya. We've been talking about what happens when you get in bed with a shark. With you the- know, yeah, and I, I feel bad for gloating over this guy because the government, it, it's an agency of aggression and violence, and this is what it does, but... They did make the conscious decision to work for this violent, aggressive entity, and now they're getting the ex- the predictable consequences of their own actions. It still sucks, and I'm not a fan of it, but they did bring it on themselves more so than most. You're referring to Coinbase, which is one of the world's largest, certainly the United States' probably largest uh, Bitcoin dealers, basically. That's that's what they started as. They expanded to become a Bitcoin exchange with different cryptocurrencies uh, available. It's one of the ways that probably a lot of brand newbies to the world of cryptocurrency will get their first cryptocurrency. And that and, was why I liked them back in the day when they mm-hmm. only offered Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin. It was almost impossible for an 80-year-old grandmother to go on there wanting to buy some of these Bitcoins her grandson keeps talking about and screw it up. True. But, but now course, they have all manner of cryptocurrencies, and th- that was their that was their only real thing that they provided. Well, they still provide the ability for people to make those purchases fairly easily, but unfortunately, the biggest downside to Coinbase is that most people never remove their product that they buy from Coinbase, which leaves it in their hands. It's what's called a custodial uh, Bitcoin exchange, meaning they have custody of your coins. And so if they're if you don't have custody of your coins, they're not really your coins. They're Coinbase's and Coinbase will let you have them as Hopefully. they choose. Well, and that's the kind of thinking that people have gotten used to. Like people will say such uh complete mistruths as I have money in the bank. No, mm. that is impossible. You do not have money in the bank. What you have is uh, on the bank computer that your name is attached to a string of numbers, yes. but it's their money. The bank has money that supposedly belongs to you, and yeah. maybe they'll let you have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they not. like why you want it. Yeah. Mm. And so Coinbase is, is entering into that same territory. They are, that, they are basically that same territory, but for cryptocurrency. And they've built their business on being maximum compliant they want the government to know who they are where they are what they're doing how they're doing it they want to you know cozy up 
with regulators as much as they possibly can because they see that as the way to survive, right? Like, and, and I understand why businesses do this, right? This is the same reason. It's basically the same reason why a business person will go to the town government and say, hey, town government, tell me what hoops I need to jump through so you guys don't send men with guns into my business and tear my s apart. Right? Because that's what people know is going to happen. Right? People must know at some level that if you don't go down to the city gang and get their blessing to go into business in most cities and towns on the you know in the United States, if you don't get their piece of paper, then at some point and it's they probably drive be, a bearcat through your door. Yeah, a bearcat's going to come through, or a bunch of men with guns, or maybe just one guy with a gun. Initially, he's going to come in. And he's going to threaten you, and he's going to say, "Hey, you open this business up without getting our permission slip." Now, you're not supposed to do that. I'll tell you what. We'll let you go down and get the permission slip. You're gonna, you got to do it within the next week or else we're going to come in. We're going to board up your doors and we're going to put you in some uh, silvery bracelets and take you away. And that's what happens. So I understand why business owners kowtow to the state. They just want to go and do business. They just want to you know help their customers get the things that they want. And they know that there's a gang out there. And they it's just that Coinbase... It's so excited about it. Like it's <laughs> it's one thing to obey the government gang because you're afraid of them. And it's another thing to try to be their buddy. To try to be the, you know right in, on their side. We're we're partnering with the reg- we love the regulators. As he says here in his multi-twitter post, they wanted to launch a lending service where they would pay you if you if you sent your coins to them, like USDC was what they wanted to start with. That's their stable coin, by the way. USDC, uh, the C stands for Circle and Coinbase, two companies that got together to create okay. that stable coin. I assumed it just stand for USD coin. Uh, and so they went into uh, the SEC to, quote, give them a friendly heads up and a briefing. <laughs> They responded, How did that work out? They responded by telling us that the Lend feature that we are proposing is a security. He says, that seems strange. How can lending be a security? We asked them to clarify and share their view. Talking about the SEC here. We always make an effort to work proactively with regulators and keep an open mind. So he goes on. I'm already on my knees. Why does Master keep hitting me? They refuse to tell us why they think it's a security and instead subpoenaed a bunch of records from us. We complied. Demanded testimony from our employees. We comply. And we then and then tell us they will be suing us if we proceed with the launch with zero explanation as to why. He says, look, we're committed to following the law. Sometimes the law is unclear. So if the SEC wants to publish guidance, we are also happy to follow that. And then in parentheses, he adds, it's nice if you actually enforce it evenly across the industry equally, by the way. Oh, he wants to shut down the the other existing companies that you mentioned previously. Some of those don't exist in the United States, though, so okay. they're going to have a tough time shutting them down. But still, well, that's, that's what, what he wants. That yeah. uh, doesn't tend to stop the United States government very often these well, days. Well, that's, that's true as well. Um, he goes on. He says, meanwhile, plenty of other crypto companies continue to offer a lend feature, but Coinbase is somehow not allowed to. He then cites uh, Gensler. We jumped through their hoops. Why are you letting them do it? He then cites uh, uh, Gensler, who's the guy who's running the SEC at this time. I think it's Gary's his first name. I could be wrong about that. But Gensler, in his confirmation hearing, said, quote, It's important for the SEC to provide guidance and clarity. Sometimes that's a clarity that'll be a thumbs up. But even if it's a thumbs down, it's important to provide that, he said back in March of this year. 
Armstrong continues. He says, if you don't... Is he alleging that a government official didn't mean what that government official said? Yeah. How scandalous. He says, if you don't want this activity, then simply publish your position in writing and enforce it evenly across the industry. He's begging the government to do. He says, ostensibly, the SEC's goal is to protect investors and create fair markets. So who are they protecting here and where is the harm? People seem pretty happy to be earning yield on these various products across lots of other crypto companies. Shutting these down would arguably be harming consumers more than protecting them. And by preventing Coinbase from launching the same thing, albeit at a fraction of the rates, Coinbase was only proposing 4%. Uh, for, for I was curious about whether or not they would yeah. offer competitive rates. Not even close. I didn't think they would because uh, they have the name recognition. They, they're, they're the ones who jump right. through all of the government's hoops, so they don't have to offer as much. Uh, he says, so they're creating an unfair market by letting all these other companies do what Coinbase wants to do, but threatening Coinbase. He says, in May of this year, I traveled to D.C. to meet with every regulator and branch of government I could. You sad, pathetic little man. I mean, can you imagine? (laughs) One of them would be too much. But this guy is like, I want to meet everybody. I want to... Well, I can't say what he wanted to do to them, but uh, it's, you know... He may have, in fact, done that. Something that you can't say on the radio. He says, the SEC was the only regulator that refused to meet with me, saying, quote, we're not meeting with any crypto companies, unquote. This was right after we became the first crypto company to go public in the United States. Gensler had been confirmed just a month prior, so I brushed it off as the SEC still getting its feet under it. Now I am not so sure. We've always tried to be good actors in the space, leaning in to sensible regulation even when it's difficult or expensive. Remember, Coinbase being the biggest player or one of the biggest players can afford regulations. They can afford to, quote, lean into it. That means, oh yes, give me another one, master. I just want to get whipped. We can take it. Because that keeps everyone else from competing with them. Now that Correct. you've established all of these requirements that everyone else has to go through to enter this space, you get to hold on to that. Yep. So he's mad. Oh, he has done so much to cozy up with these regulators and bend over for them and just do everything. But, you know, now here they are. Tell him they're going to sue him. After all of the effort that they put in, after all of the money and the time that they spent doing favors for these people and begging for their, you know, approval. Well, you can't trust the government. No. There's a little bit more. He's got a few more things to say. The number is 603-283-6160. And the sad thing is, is he still wants to please them. After all of this, there's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, the number, if you want to join us here, 603-283-6160. Hey, surprise, even if you do everything you possibly can to please the government gang, they might just screw you anyway. Well, it's interesting that the SEC was the only government agency that refused to meet with them. Talking about Coinbase, uh, Brian Armstrong, the CEO, complaining a few days ago on Twitter about how they tried to please the SEC. They want to launch a new loan platform where uh, they would take in your cryptocurrency uh, and pay you basically a yearly or APY. Maybe it's paid monthly, maybe it's paid weekly, I don't know. But uh, they, they haven't launched it because they tried to go and 
buddy up with the SEC, and the SEC told him, if you launch this, we're going to sue you. Now, I wonder if the SEC was always planning on doing this, and that's why they never met with them in the first place. They're like, Could be. Mm, no, we're planning on uh, trying to take over cryptocurrency completely here in a minute, so no. Well, and, and I do, I feel bad to some extent for Brian Armstrong, because he really thought that he could appease these people. He really thought that there was some amount of... Uh, you know, putting him, uh, subverting himself in front of them. He really thought that you could negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, and and he's getting, he's being taught a harsh lesson here. Now, whether or not he's going to take anything away from this, it doesn't sound like it because he's still praising the the, the tuna. system. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like, oh, well, we understand, we want to please regulators, and they still do. Uh, they want to talk. He wants to be able to sit down and have a chat. Help us understand your perspective so that we can share it. Yeah, we want to quote-unquote lean in to sensible regulation, even when it's difficult or expensive, is what he says. And what as a you, good sub. Yeah, and as you pointed out, <laughs> uh, Peakless Mountaineer, that uh, this is because they want to lean into it because they want difficult regulations, mm-hmm. because they can do it. They're, they've got the attorneys. Well, and that's why he keeps asking for these regulations to be ap- applied to everyone. Yes. That's what they're looking to do is make sure that no one else can get into this game because I already have a foothold here and I don't want any competition. Well, in his case, he doesn't have a foothold in loans, but they've got a huge foothold in an existing market. That right. It's a huge marketplace. There's, I don't know how many millions of users they have, but it's got to be a lot. Uh, Coinbase is one of the biggest players out there. And uh, so I've got a little bit more of what he has to say, but I do want to tell you about Odyssey. Now, Odyssey is handling their fight with the SEC in a completely different manner. And I love it. Yeah, and I love what they're doing (laughs) over there. Uh, Odyssey, by the way, is the front-end website that's designed to compete with YouTube that's running something in the background called Library. Now, Library, spelled L-B-R-Y, it's an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol. And we've been using it here on Free Talk Live for years to store our video archives, and it's fantastic. And Odyssey is the latest kind of iteration of that. And like I said, they're competing with YouTube. Our YouTube channel is in jeopardy of being shut down at any moment. Um, But our Odyssey channel, not at all in jeopardy. And even if Odyssey were to, for some reason, decide to take our channel off of their website which seems unlikely they let us get away with doing an all-female topless topless show and they were like look just don't have it in the thumbnail which is a reasonable (laughs) request that i hadn't considered prior to it right so uh yeah odyssey is pretty great but even if they were to take us down from their website they cannot take our channel down from library which is the uncensorable media sharing protocol behind the whole thing so it's an amazing thing you can go to video.freetalklive.com and you can uh, follow our channel there on Odyssey. If you want to go all in, you can download the library app at lbry.com. And then any video archive you watch of Free Talk Lives, you'll turn into a seed and help keep it online forever. So that's pretty awesome. I would also definitely recommend the app because it gives you library credits, which are what you need to use to upload content and stuff like that, simply for using the app. Just for watching, Yep. I think it's one video a week, you get like two free library credits. But after you watch... Like 10 videos, you get 20. It's it's really cool. generous. Yeah, they've got a cool system set up there. And the SEC targeted them earlier this year. It was actually like a week or two after our studios got raided by the FBI on alleged cryptocurrency-related charges. Now, the SEC isn't criminally charging Odyssey, but they are going after them in civil court. And Odyssey's already spent a million dollars 
on uh, legal defense. In and this it's all the same case. nonsense, right? Arguing same that crap. LBC is a security? It's quote-unquote security. What the hell is a security? You know, I am not a legal or financial expert, but as I understand it, uh, a security is some sort of thing that has the promise to go up in value or something like that. Well, or they the, certainly the, never promised that. Or, or uh, We'll have to get a better, uh, better definition of it. I'm sure there's a long, complicated legalese definition that I wouldn't understand anyway, so... Yeah, and the uh, the federal government wants you to believe that every single thing in the world of cryptocurrency is a security. Right, because that allows them to regulate it because it's something that, in theory, would fall under their umbrella if they can just convince people that it is a security. And from what I've heard, this is something that different branches of the government disagree on because mm-hmm. uh, Congress said that, no, cryptocurrency is a commodity, like uh, milk or gold or anything like that. And now the SEC is coming along and saying, no, no, Congress, we know better than you. It's a security. You know, one of the things that we can govern. And the IRS is saying it's an asset. Uh, According to Investopedia.com, the term security refers to a fungible, negotiable financial instrument that holds some type of monetary value. It represents an ownership position in a publicly traded corporation via stock, a creditor relationship with a governmental body or corporation represented by owning that entity's bond. So when you have a library credit, you do not own a piece of library. No. The corporation. You do not own... There's no, like... You don't get voting rights in library. You don't have any sort of ownership stake. So, first off, fungible. There is nothing fungible about pretty much all cryptocurrencies that's true unless it's like monero yeah yeah monero you know you you can at least start the argument there i'm well, familiar with fungible. the term what does fungible okay, mean in the- so like um dollars are technically not fungible but basically fungible so uh if i give you five bucks and you want to give me five bucks you don't have to hand me that exact note you can hand me five $1 bills or a different $5 bill. It's it, it's the same thing no matter what. The idea is a something that is uh, fungible is not trackable, essentially. I mean, yeah. like, if even though... The, I think the point you were making was even though there are serial numbers on the cash, no fundamentally, one really, no one, really no cares one pays attention that. to that stuff. So when you buy something with cash, the person doesn't know what they just received and then when they when they spend it out there's no real way to track where the 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 dollars were prior to them coming to you whereas something that's fungible or non-fungible is completely traceable and you can identify right like one's one's unique so so, non-fungible token for that excludes all cryptocurrencies with the possibility of some privacy coins that's what yeah that's what i just said so so the non-fungible token uses the terminology the idea behind that this is the new craze in cryptocurrency the idea behind a non-quote-unquote non-fungible token is that there's only one of them yeah so like the mona lisa is extremely non-fungible and water is extremely fungible good definition all right so we can continue here more on just a little bit more from the the poor poor ceo of coinbase who is so sad about what the federal government is doing to him after all of these years years of trying to appease these government bureaucrats they won't even meet with him they won't even talk with him except to say, we're going to sue you if you do what you plan to do. Because he's a surf to them, and he doesn't understand that. The number here is 603-283-6160. You can join us, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. This is Free Talk Live. 
when a lunar observatory detects a radio broadcast originating from Proxima Centauri, the nations of Earth discover their first contact with an alien race may also be their last. With the Proximans facing an extinction-level disaster, Earth must choose between sending a ship on a multi-year journey or allowing nature to take its course. Saving Proxima, a hard science fiction thriller by Travis S. Taylor and Les Johnson. From BaneBooks.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. And you can dial in at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We're telling the sad, sad story of a CEO of a company named Coinbase. His name is Brian Armstrong, and he loves government regulation. But guess what? After almost a decade... These, I think these guys founded in like 2012 or 2013. They've been around for a long time uh, in the crypto sphere. After a, nearly a decade of being a big suck up to the federal government, they can't even get the SEC to return a phone call. They can't get the SEC to agree to meet with him and talk about the new thing that they want to do. I worked so hard to form these relationships with all the regulators and they won't call me back. Yeah, he just wants to appease the government. And it's a nice contrast to the dark dark net markets that we were talking about earlier. You mentioned the Silk Road has, you know, since been closed, but there Mm -hmm. have been hundreds, if not thousands, that have sprung up in its absence because the dark road had, you know, a single head that could cut off. And obviously it caused it that, like any Hydra, many grew in its place. But with Coinbase... He's the central figure. Yeah. You know, he's the one who is going to get sued here because he chose to centralize it and bow to the federal government. So this is what you asked for, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that Coinbase hasn't been incredibly successful. They have. I mean, they've they've gone public. That I think that's been successful for him so far. I don't know. I, I don't follow their stock price or whatever. I don't care. Um, but, you know, they did do that and, it, and they're still there. I think his best course of action, and again, I'm not a legal advisor, is probably to just go ahead and do the thing and let them sue him. Yeah, and let your and then, attorney, then they have to talk to you, right? Mm, yeah, they'll they'll be doing they'll be uh, <laughs> at least sending you legal threats at that point. Actually, they have threatened them, so they did talk to them. They just talked at them rather than having a conversation. And the uh, the SEC said, if you do this loan uh, loan program, this crypto loan program, you want to do, we're going to sue you. Well, he probably doesn't want to do that because it'll make a lot of investors get very squeamish about his company. That's a good point. Yeah. So the people who've given them money are probably people who agree with their tactic of saddling up with the regulators and being buddy buddy with the government. But this, the you know the the I guess the moral of the story here is the government isn't your buddy, and they're not there to help you. They're there to screw you. They're there to take advantage of you. They're there to control you. And they don't care about you. Yeah, they have constantly changing rules that they enforce through violence, and they aren't—they aren't even good at following the the rules that they have from one day to the next. Yeah, and to to Brian Armstrong's credit, at least he is correctly pointing out here that man, they're trying to figure out what the hell the rules are. They can't figure it out with all their attorneys that they have. The again, this is all him uh, complaining on Twitter, but there's another story that basically covers the same points written by their legal team, uh, written by their chief legal officer, Paul Grewal, saying essentially the same things and sort of telling the story. Like, their legal people that they pay God knows how much money to 
every single year can't make heads or tails of what the SEC wants. So they try to talk to the SEC, and the SEC is like, we're not talking to you. Well, his issue, I think, is that he attempted to notify the SEC that he was going to do something instead of requesting their permission. Mm, well, I mean, what's the difference? Well, he's coming at it from this perspective of, I don't have to ask your permission. I mean, they're the state. They want you to ask their permission, and mm-hmm. they don't. if they don't say yes, then you're not allowed to do it. You, you don't get to just notify them, hey, I'm going to do this, and that's going to be it. You have to... Please, I would like to do this thing. Will you give me permission to do it? It's a monumental difference between notifying them and asking their permission. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And he did say that they were giving them a friendly heads up. Yeah. So I guess that was kind of a notice. Uh, but let me go on. He's got a few more posts. He says, we've always tried to be good actors in the space, leaning into sensible regulation, even when it's difficult or expensive. We try to think about what our what products we would want for ourselves and what risks we would want our families to be aware of before launching products. We'll keep following this approach. Yet here we're being threatened with legal action before a single bit of actual guidance has been given to the industry on these products. If we end up in court, we may finally get the regulatory clarity the SEC refuses to provide, but regulation by litigation should be the last resort for the sec not the first he says finally our door remains open hopefully the sec steps up to create the clarity this industry deserves without harming consumers and companies in the process america could really use us all working together to figure this out right now i don't need the government working on this particular project that they they can just continue not being involved with it and i think it will develop better as a result yeah that's why this pr- uh, product exists at all is because Celsius and Nexo and Coinloan and there are, you know seven others or however many others there are out there they just went ahead and created it and, and they worked. put it out there but without government who will keep competition out of the market yeah that's what this is really of course all about and uh, the Gensler character the guy who's running the SEC has said things publicly like that he doesn't think that cryptocurrency can reach its full potential without regulation. That has never been true of anything in human history. Regulation is always created to prevent a thing from reaching its full potential. (laughs) Right. Well, that's not the mythology that they taught us in school. Correct. And, of course, they're still pimping the same mythology out there, like, oh, well, if it weren't for us regulators consumers would be in jeopardy consumers are making 7 to 12 to 14 percent interest on their loans right now that they give to some of these companies yes i think they're doing just fine versus the point zero oh but aria there's so much risk i mean these are companies that are not fdic insured what if they go out of business then they go out of business. But and then they, the consumers and person will get learns hurt. a valuable lesson about doing more research into a company before they invest in them. But some of these have been in business for four years, as Which you is a long out. time in the crypto sphere. We can't let people decide their own level of risk. What's next? Legalizing heroin? <laughs> uh, please. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that would do a monumental good thing for the people out there who are addicted to it. So We have fewer deaths from fentanyl. I don't know where this is going to go. Um, I hope that these companies do not close up shop. I hope that they do not stop offering their product to people in the United States because it's a cool product. I mean, that look, you can put money in a bank, as we pointed out earlier, get a really crappy return and still have no guarantee that you can walk in and withdraw those funds. So to act like giving your cryptocurrency to one of these centralized companies and getting a return on it is somehow more risky or dangerous, I don't buy it. 
No, banks have a long history of being reckless with your money. And saying no when you try to go and get it out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrencies don't have that horrific track record. I'm waiting, by the way, on uh, my final bank account that I had uh, that, for whatever reason, hadn't been closed uh, during the raid or whatever. It was still open after we got raided earlier this year. They did decide to close uh, the account. I got notice of it three weeks after they sent it in the mail. So by the time I got the notice, it was already past the date of closure. I couldn't go into the bank and actually walk out with the cash. I don't have another account to which I can take a check and put it into because I have no other bank account at this point. And so I now on what week number three or four of waiting for the check to come they supposedly sent the check on august 20th i'm on two years with the bank oh the check's in the mail (laughs) and it's money i never expect to see again it may be in the mail (laughs) i don't know if it's the bank i don't know if it's the postal service i have no idea it's like this is supposed to be good service this is supposed to be what people are you know, looking up to as an well, they example. Have a, they have effective monopolies, yeah. so they don't have to offer good service. It's like the United States Postal Service. Yeah, it's garbage. Uh, whereas, if you want to withdraw from one of these online crypto houses, you usually get the withdrawals in some cases within a couple hours. And some, I think there's a couple of them that make you wait a day, a day or two or something like that. So they're not the greatest, but there's at least enough competition to where some of them are like, yeah, you hit the withdraw button, and as long as you're within your limits. We'll send it to you. Yeah, Coinbase maybe wait like five to seven business days one for a small amount of cryptocurrency mm-hmm. just because they could. Because it wasn't my cryptocurrency, it was theirs until I got it off of their servers. So good on Odyssey for fighting the SEC and not acting like that they're their their buddy or their friend or whatever, because they're not. These people aren't there to help you. They're there to restrict competition. They're there to restrict the marketplace, to offer you fewer choices. And only ones that the government wants you to have. But if the biggest bully on the playground isn't my friend, then that's scary. The number here if you want to join us, 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Coming up here, social media polarizing people even more than they already are. Aria is going to tell us about that on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. If you want to join the show, you can. The number is 603-283-6160. 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Ian. Peakless Mountaineer. And Aria. So we've been talking about uh, cryptocurrency, the federal government wanting to crack down and regulate and control, and companies wanting to be cracked down on, regulated, and controlled, but not too hard. So you can comment on that if you want to, or we're going to continue and uh, get into a different discussion, which is about the uh, the divisions within the United States, the people being polarized, uh, not getting along with one another, and not really seeming like they're ever going to. Aria, you've got a story about that. I do, and it's something I think... You know, everyone is seeing. I I remember when I was a kid, there were Democrats in my family, there were Republicans in my family, and they didn't spend a lot of time at Thanksgiving dinners arguing with one another about politics. But now on social media, they unfriend each other, they Mm. block each other, they just don't have anything to do with each other. Do they even go to Thanksgiving dinner together? I don't know because I stopped going, (laughs) so probably not. But uh, one in seven people in a totally unrelated report that I saw today, one in seven people have block someone, a friend, a real-life friend, or cut them out of their lives 
because of their position on vaccinations, these yeah. specifically the COVID vaccination. I've seen people saying on, I've seen them saying online, I saw one person the other day say that she has lost every friend that she has and is completely alone where she lives. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. They, these, these party lines have gotten drawn deep. And it started with uh, the polarization on social media, but as expected, that has since spread into the real world. And we saw it most, I think, we saw it begin fading into the real world during the Trump-Hillary campaign when there were people on the left specifically who were refusing to have any association with their family members who Mm -hmm. supported Trump. Right. And now it's just sort of snowballed from there where any political disagreement whatsoever results in getting cut out of a person's life. Mm Mm-hmm. But all of this started on social media where the consequences of blocking someone or unfriending them are relatively minor. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I, I've really just been surprised to watch disappear is any sense of compassion. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, like, I do think that uh, people on the left have gone a little nutty with all of this, like, PC taken to its nth degree stuff. But the people on the right don't go, man, it must suck to be over there. They just make fun of them. Like there's there's no compassion for how for what it must be like to be on the political left when it's going crazy. Well, plus they uh, well, the political left has no compassion left to get. They're dancing on the graves of the unvaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is very strange considering that they, you know, acted as though they were the ones that were about compassion. They, They acted as though, oh, well, we want people to be safe. We want people to feel, you know, to be healthy. Um, And now, oh, well, if you don't do exactly what they say. If you don't, you know, roll up your sleeve to have some pharmaceutical company jab at a uh, questionable substance in your arm, uh, then, well, no more compassion for you. We've run out of patience. We're oh, going to hurt you. It's downright Orwellian. Yeah. I mean, it is literally fear is love. Like, the way that you show that you love other people is to be as terrified of this thing as you possibly can. And it's a very strange thing to watch, like, hippies turn to fear. Mm. Like the people who who adore love and focus on it completely, and no, not anymore. They're all terrified now. Yeah, everything's been reversed. It's really crazy. So this report, it sees the issue, but it completely misses the actual way of addressing the problem. And where's it, it from? Sorry. It is from Drudge Report. Drudge, okay. It recommends that the federal government prioritize plans to enact stronger transparency requirements and other measures for tech platforms in an effort to combat polarization. Hold on. This is actual Drudge Report opinion piece? Yes. That's unusual. Normally, they just link to other websites. The report released Monday by the NYU Stern Center for Business and Human Rights argues that tech platforms have failed to, quote, self-regulate sufficiently and calls for government intervention. Which isn't going to... The government can't make people be nice to each other on social media. This is something the right-wingers have been calling for since prior to Joe Biden getting into office. I remember when Christopher Cantwell, the Nazi, uh, the racist, former co-host on Free Talk Live, we had to fire him years ago as he became a racist. Um, he, had, When he was you know, totally on the right and becoming a statist, he was, he was advocating the exact same thing. He wanted government regulation of these various different social media platforms as though that would give the right wing a fair shake well it certainly wouldn't and the authors here cite the january 6th riot at the u.s capitol as an example of social media contributing to political polarization in a way that manifests in real world harm now wasn't it only like 
a protester who was harmed as a result of the January 6th, quote, riot? There was a protester shot to, uh, to death. By a cop, uh, if I recall some correctly. Some federal agent, yeah. We're not talking about Capital political police. polarization just, the, it, just in the uh, abstract, but it has these very s- specific consequences, which we are seeing basically eroding aspects of democracy and civil relationships among people and trust in institutions and so forth. Well, I'm sure as soon as you use the threat of violence on these people, they will become much more centered. It's very strange. I mean, they don't draw any any line between the problem that they're alleging, which is, you know, the division that they were just talking about and how the government could possibly fix that. The 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 government is partisan whether it's Republicans or Democrats in office and Whichever one of these institutions, whichever one of these parties is in control when they make these regulations, is going to upset the other party. Sure, I mean this is how the government gang lives. Basically, they want to split people. They want them to uh, fight over control of the state. They want them to constantly be in this endless battle over who will be behind the gun, who will have the control of the state and wield that violence against their neighbors. And then when the tables flip and, you know, the side that just had the gun pointed at them is in control again, they're angry. Yes. So they want to exact vengeance on well, the people who just pointed at them. control, expand that power. That's what they do every single time. As though they don't see it could be possibly used against them down the road when they the other team to, yeah when the other team gets a hold of it it reminds me of what happened after trump got elected i went down to a protest cuz remember there were all these big protests after mm-hmm. trump got elected by leftists and i went down with uh new hampshire independence flyers to one of, to this protest and i'm like all right well yeah i'm going to hand these out to the lefties and see how many of them are interested in new hampshire declaring independence from the united states cuz you know i i think everybody should be interested in independence mm-hmm. i don't think it's a political issue at all uh, but obviously, there are certain times at which some people might be more interested mm. versus less. And so I figured this might be one of those times. And the younger people were a little bit more open okay. than the older people that were there. And the older people I spoke with were like, oh, no, we got to redouble our efforts. We've got to go back in there and we've got to retake D.C. We can't just let these people win. Why not? That's the thing. They, it's a stupid game they're playing. Yeah. Just stop they playing. They can't walk away from it. They feel like they have to get even, that they have to turn the tables. They have to go back in and keep fighting. They can't just, like you say, walk away. It's just like people arguing when everyone wants the last word. Eventually, just stop arguing and walk away. It's not worth it. Now, did you try doing this uh, during the Trump era? Cause, sure. Okay, yeah, because I think that's the only time they'd be receptive to it on the left is, okay, now that the opposite... No, this was, the, as soon as Trump took office, they were having protests. That's when mm-hmm. I went down to do that. I also did it at uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, which was, of course, 2020, uh, various different events there. So where, wherever there was a crowd of people, I've done it at left-wing events, I've done it at right-wing events. And so, you know, some, t- some people are open to it, and others aren't. And a lot of the people who aren't open to it, they want to get revenge. That's sad. Yeah. That's not a good way to live your life. Yeah. So this report also urges President Biden to persuade lawmakers and the public to confront online polarization to avoid, quote, future versions of the Capitol insurrection. <laughs> I don't I, I still don't see how the government so they can think do by regulating. Hold on. They think that by regulating social media that they're going to be able to prevent things like January 6th. It seems that way, but they're not outlying how that could possibly be prevented by government. They're just saying government can fix it. <laughs> social media it platforms. cures everything. It's that's certainly what they think. Social media platforms have pushed back on accusations that they are intensifying political polarization. 
But at the same time, platforms have taken action during specific periods of time to strengthen policies around removing certain content. So they just want to make sure that you can't post to social media about planning a future insurrection. Hmm. For example... That'll stop it. Yeah. (laughs) It certainly won't just send people to Telegram. For example, Facebook in April said it would take extra steps to limit misinformation in preparation for the verdict in the trial of Derek Chauvin for the killing of George Floyd. The fact that they actually acknowledge that they have the capacity to, quote, turn the dial at certain points, and they acknowledge that they've done this in certain emergency situations, I think poses a very strong implication that they know there is a connection to what they're doing and this social political problem, Barrett said. The question is, if you can do it temporarily, explain to us why you wouldn't want to do that generally. Why wouldn't you want Facebook just constantly exercising its heavy hand to censor and monitor everything that people say on it? Aren't they? I mean, this guy just is calling for it to be even heavier. Yes, and for government to be regulating that they have to. I mean, how many times have you been banned from Facebook in the last year? At least six. (laughs) Okay, more coming up here. 603-283-6160. Do you want government regulation of social media? After a devastating war, the alien visitors were driven back, and their willing human collaborators were left behind to face the music. When Emma Jean Anderson's ex-lover springs her from prison, Nathan Foster and his 14-year-old nephew Ben are tasked with bringing the pair to justice. An easy enough job until they discover something is inside Emma Jean, and the fate of the planet hangs in the balance. The Family Business by Mike Coopery from BaneBooks.com. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. As we kick off the third hour of the program here tonight, it's Ian. Beakless Mountaineer. And Aria. Whether you want to comment on the world of cryptocurrency, which we spent the first hour plus of the show... Or social media continuing to drive a wedge even deeper between the various different sides out there. Uh, Some people are saying they want to regulate social media. They want the government to take over the industry and set some rules. Because that always works really well when governments take over industries and uh, you know control things even greater. Do you remember shortly after the election, uh, the first Trump election, there was this site that came forward that listed a bunch of propaganda sites that provided false information or allegedly false information Hmm. it never it never got a lot of steam but it certainly existed Mm -hmm. and it it seems like it just sort of laid the groundwork for facebook and twitter and youtube to have this apparatus in place where they could just censor whatever content they didn't like as we're experiencing right now on youtube because it was on that blacklist they would just say Okay, you can't post that? Is yeah. that where you so they were relying on that? It list? was a list of news organizations like Breitbart and mm. some others and you know some fringier ones like I think, Newsmax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just ones that you would have to hard write. Yeah. Propaganda basically. And it was just this website that listed them as like the, these are not trustworthy and mm. it was never really clear who exactly was behind it other than it was someone on the left who was upset at the right. I remember that there was at one point, maybe it was related to this, like Facebook was working with other social media sites to have like a co-owned blacklist, essentially, of of sites or people or something like that, opinions or whatever, like that there was some sort of 
working together that they were doing. So they had like a tool that they could use and add things to and like sort of co-blacklist things. Do you remember? I don't remember that. that? But I'm not surprised to hear of such a thing. I mean, the the censorship on these platforms is strong. Uh, Yeah. Making it stronger isn't going to help the situation here, and it's certainly not going to oh, fix the polarization. Oh, oh, come on. As soon as people get censored, I'm sure that their opinions will become less extreme, and they won't feel that they're targeted in any way. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see about uh, what people think about old uh, Fauci. He's got some more opinions, and he is certainly not being censored. Uh, the latest video here, according to Disclose.tv, he's calling for unvaccinated Americans to be banned from air travel as uh, our co-host bonnie is currently in the air travel system right now she missed a flight uh tonight and uh, won't be able to come back to new hampshire unfortunately till tomorrow i have a flight next week what are the rules on that well they're not changing them yet but uh so you'll probably be able to make it out in time next week because it you know it's government so it will i be able to make it back too fast that's <laughs> uh, no, that is a good question let's go on here with what he had to say if we get the overwhelming proportion of the population vaccinated we will get to herd immunity if we do it in the next six months it will happen in the next six months if we do it in the next two months it'll happen in the next two months i would support that if you want to get on a okay so i the little ding is a question that flashes up on the screen. Would you support vaccine mandates for airline travel? He says, I would support that. Plane and travel with other people that you should be vaccinated. When you so he says hear- yes. He wants vaccine mandates for people who are flying. Uh, the next question, what about in public schools? Uh, say, should you mandate vaccination for children to be able to attend school? Some people say, oh, my goodness. That would be terrible to do that. But we already do that and have been doing that for decades and decades. I don't know what school you went to, but the school that I went to, you had to be vaccinated for measles, mumps, rubella, polio, or otherwise you couldn't go to school. Well, there were religious exemptions in many states. I know Mississippi had religious exemptions. I think New Hampshire does as well. I didn't actually look into it. A lot of places do, as I understand it. We already forced you to do this thing. Just let us force you to do this thing, too. And more to the point, I mean, those were actual vaccines to to prevent Mm -hmm. someone from getting the measles. With decades of usage behind them. Yes. Uh, Not some new experimental thing that maybe it's going to work, maybe it's not, maybe it's going to kill you, you know, maybe it's not. It literally programs your blood to do a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know, man. I don't think... It, It causes you to bleed and clot at the same time. That sounds really scary. It is. It's terrifying. And I mean, I don't know how many people are going to be that susceptible to it. We don't know. And and here's the thing. We have literally never tried a technology similar to this before. Yep. See, I'm not opposed to gene therapy or hormone splicing or gene splicing, whatever people want to do with their bodies, as long as they consent to it. Look, I don't care. If, if science right. has a technology to splice you with a lizard, go for it. But humanity isn't at the point yet where we are prepared to be programming our bodies to do things using technology. But the point that you're making on this, Peakless, that he's using previous tyranny to back up the current tyranny mm-hmm. is the most important takeaway here. And we knew that they were going to say this stuff 
because this is how they always do it. Oh, well, of course you're going to need to have a passport. You have a driver's license, so of course you We've already had driver's licenses, so you got to have a passport. Well, of course you're going to need to have a vaccine passport. We already have passports, so you got to have a vaccine passport. I mean, so they always build on, they take little steps, and before you know it, they've got total tyranny. Well, of course we're going to have to regulate your exhalation. We already regulate the uh, the power that comes into your house. Yeah, they regulate all kinds of uh, gases. Yeah. So why shouldn't they regulate the gas that comes out of your body? Exactly. Or I mean, it's, it. it's, da- it's a dangerous greenhouse gas, the fact that you breathe. Yeah, don't you care about the environment? Exactly. So um, I don't think he really has that much more to say in this particular story. But in related news, so just the point being that this guy, Fauci, is saying, OK, well, vaccine mandates for air travel. He's going further than what Joe Biden was uh, demanding the other day. So it's only a matter of time, likely before what Fauci wants is going to be implemented on a nationwide basis. And of course, he's not the only one uh, pushing for this. You've got this other woman, Leanna Wen, who's the latest uh dr du jour that they've been pushing on people on cnn and such he works uh works with the uh world not world health organization the National great, institute of health no the great reset people world uh economic forum she's uh-huh. uh, she's one of their people oh good yep yeah <laughs> so she's all about more mandates she's all about you know restricting the uh the unvaccinated oh by the way new york city uh, just today their new vaccine passport program the key to nyc program is now in place uh the mayor does say he's not going to be writing tickets yet but police are going around and they are checking. So if you're sitting at a restaurant, for instance, the police may come in and they may demand to see your vaccine passport. And I will demand a warrant. And they will say, you have to leave because if you don't this have the vaccine passport. This is private property. Passport, you can't command me off of it. Well, we, we you have a license or the uh, business well, owner can, has a license. And so that means they agree to follow our rules. Well, then the business owner can ask me to leave. And they probably will, because eventually the men with guns are going to start writing tickets to business owners that don't enforce their rules. Now, to be fair, there are some heroic New York City businesses who have said they will not be enforcing this. So it will be interesting. Well, and that to. is the solution. Yeah. That is the solution. Non-compliance. Just stop doing what they tell you to. Yeah. And- the- the vaccinated people are are still freaking terrified. They're not going out to eat in restaurants, even if they're all masked up and fully vaccinated. Vaccinated. The people who are going out to eat in restaurants are going to be the ones who aren't afraid. The That's unvaccinated. True, so restaurants extent. can't afford that nonsense. We shall see. I'm I'm astonished and flabbergasted that we are still listening to this man. So, like, uh, I don't know if you heard about the uh, the uh, Intercept papers that had uh, recently come out. Which ones? Oh, it, well, it's the smoking gun on he personally signed the document to fund gain-of-function research at the lab in Wuhan. Mm. So it is entirely possible that he is literally the architect of this virus. Wow. And we are listening to what he thinks we should do now that it's been released. That's scary. It is. What is gain-of-function research? Uh, It's where they take a virus and they give it new abilities. In this case, they took uh, existing viruses and gave them the ability to infect human beings. We're going to continue. Your calls are welcome. All the more reason to stop funding the federal government. Absolutely. And get out of it. National, uh, we want to see as many places secede or declare independence as possible. Who goes first? I don't care. Texas, California, New Hampshire, Vermont, wherever you happen to be. 603-283-6160. we got an update on that coming up. 
It is Free Talk Live. You can join us here if you want. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Joining you in the studio tonight, it's Ian. Nicholas Mountaineer. And Daria. And you can bring up anything. We've been uh, talking about various different issues here tonight. The most recent one, uh, Fauci saying that he thinks the people should be banned from air travel if they are unvaccinated. And he also wants to mandate vaccines for school children. By the way, New York City is now implementing their so-called Key to NYC program, which mandates a vaccination passport for going out and doing basically anything you might want to go out and do. Everything from uh, going to uh, out to eat to going out to some sort of theater event or, um, you know, going into the gym or something like that. At what point are we not going to be able to make, at what point are people going to allow us to make Nazi Germany references here without criticizing us for it? Because that, 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 that is Nazi Germany. You, you have to have this thing or you can't go to the gym. You can't go to theaters. You can't go to restaurants. You're mm. a second-class citizen with no privileges or luxury access whatsoever. That's right. Well, I don't know. That sounds kind of familiar to me based on what I know about history. At least the Nazis didn't make you get an injection before you showed them your papers. Yeah, it's true. Well, they, they did worse, I would argue. Uh, Eventually. I, I, I agree. They didn't I'm just do saying a, that in this particular aspect. Remember, they didn't do day uh, worse on day one. Right. True. It took a while to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for a long time, it was just restricting Jews to ghettos and things like that, yeah. saying, hey, you can't you can't go out here, you can't work here, you can't have right. that job. Second-classing them, dehumanizing. Well, the only difference and, is that you don't really, you could choose to be Jewish, but you can't choose your ancestry in the way that you can choose to get vaccinated. But at the same time, it's, it's still my choice. Well, and the way that they dehumanized them was a very specific way. They made people see them as an infection. Mm-hmm. That that was the rhetoric that they used That's in order to get worse now. and worse. That's they're now literally saying Joe Biden said publicly, and it, and he's not the first person to say it that it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated, mm-hmm. which can't possibly be true based on the case numbers. No, and it's also not true based on the fact that people with vaccinations can still spread COVID. Yes, unchecked because yeah. they no longer have to get tested because they have been vaccinated, yeah. and we are being targeted for our beliefs. That is a very key and crucial part of this. My belief in this aspect is just that I don't trust Big Pharma and I don't trust the government. And neither one of those institutions has ever given me any reason whatsoever to trust them. In other New York City news, since again, they're uh, implementing their passport mandate immediately. They're just not finding people quite yet. They uh, will be. They will be. Uh, The story here from Business Insider Mayor Bill de Blasio is threatening to withhold paychecks from New York City police officers and other city workers who are not vaccinated for COVID-19 and who are refusing weekly testing. Under a mandate enacted by de Blasio, all city workers must be vaccinated or be tested weekly for covid the mandate goes into effect I don't think today. It's, I don't think it's legal to just stop paying people who are doing their job, is it's it? It's not. Oh, I'm sure the police unions will uh, likely be taking them to court over this because uh, if they're anything like they're they are in Chicago, all of the, we did a, did a story on the police unions in Chicago last week. 
where all four of the police unions are against the mandatory vaccinations. They're against the city's mandates. Are, uh, are they going case. to enforce them? It, it sounds like they're willing to not even go to work okay. over this. Yeah, uh, and, and what I've if heard that's is what it takes to get rid of cops. I'm all for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and and what I've heard is that unlike uh, a lot of uh, a lot of times they will do a blue flu where they just like oh we just happened to not show up. We're all sick yeah. on the same day. Yeah. Oh, what a coincidence! In this case, they're like, no, we're announcing it. This is exactly what we're doing. No. Yeah. The funny part about it was is that the cops, their uh, unions, were making statements like, "We don't want to be told what to do." We, we don't want to be told what to do that with our bodies. Sweet, sweet irony. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I support you guys on this, but at the same time, you've been arresting people for your entire careers who were choosing to do things with their body that you didn't want them to. So now you're saying you want your bodily autonomy to be respected, <laughs> but you still won't respect any other. So, you know, it's like, okay, I see where you're coming from. Well, hypocrites are still occasionally right. Yeah. Yeah, they're right about this one. And how ridiculous does this have to get before people see that it it is absurd nonsense and frankly start laughing at it instead of bowing before it? Well, right now, de Blasio is saying at a press conference Thursday that starting today, uh, the mandate goes into effect, impacting 340,000 city workers across various sectors. There's 340,000 city employees in New York City. Bureaucracy takes a lot of people. He says, if someone again doesn't follow that mandate, that's true. Eventually, they're not going to be paid, obviously, he said in his press conference. As of this week, 53% of NYPD employees have received one dose of the vaccine compared to about 79% of the adults in New York City. So police are getting the vaccine significantly less than the average person in New York City, interestingly. And now they're not going to get a paycheck. This is going to get uh, pretty intriguing. They're, they're making oh, they're making rookie mistakes. Look, if you want to be a dictator, you always pay your enforcers first. Mm, right? You never threaten to not pay them because they're the ones who will go out and enforce your bidding on the public. Well, look, even if forty uh, percent of the police don't show up to work because they're not being paid, obviously they're going to stop showing up at some point. I don't think that's going to matter that much, right? Like, I mean. You're not going to see crime run rampant just no. because 40% of the cops aren't there because it's not cops that stop crime. It's just people being good that you know, well, stop crime. You'll see city so revenue decrease. Well, here's my thought, though, is after how long will it take for this 40% of police to go like, okay, I'm tired of this. I am tired of not getting a paycheck. We're the ones with the guns. We're the ones who enforce laws. We need to take these guys and show them who is actually boss. Because you think you're boss because you're a congressman. We're the ones you rely on to enforce those laws. What are you suggesting they would do? I, I'm saying they might take over the city and be like, no, you will pay us. Well, they're still I'm not in the a minority. fan of a police state, though. They're still in the minority of cops, so they would be up against their, their own brothers in blue if they tried that. I, d- I doubt that they would fight them. I mean, I wouldn't shed any tears over the cops fighting one another in the streets. Uh, I mean... Okay. It's not ideal, though. I would be very interested in seeing the footage of that, um, but I don't think that's very realistic. You're likely just going to see unions suing. That's probably the way this is going to shake out. Well, at the rate that the courts are going, this lawsuit will not end in time for them to not starve. So 
that might get interesting. Well, if New York City's anything like Keene, New Hampshire, as far as its jobs situation is concerned, meaning that there's jobs everywhere, uh, if these cops want to work, they'll probably be able to find some work. I'm sure they like doing something productive. To. Maybe they'll actually really enjoy doing productive work, and they'll never go back to being a cop oh, instead of being be parasites. Nice. Yeah, that would exactly. be wonderful. Yeah, so we'll see how this shakes out. Again, the Police Benevolent Association, which is the largest police uh, union in the world, has spoken out against the testing mandate because officers will not be compensated for the time spent being tested. That's their reason for it. They're not getting money while they go and get the test. Well, is it the union motivated by a desire to get its members more money? Basically, yeah, yeah that's true. It's not about their bodily autonomy or anything like that. It's just, if you pay us, you got to pay us. We're coming up here in moments. 603-283-6160. You can join us here on the radio. This is Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com. This is Free Talk Live. Open phones. If you want to join us, the number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We're talking about New York City. New York City. Get a rope. I have no idea what the two of you are talking about. Uh, it's an old uh, salsa commercial. You're just too young, <laughs> are you? Uh, Pace Picane, I believe, mm-hmm. was, uh, yep. was the brand on that. It was a bunch of cowboys around a campfire, and uh, I guess they had salsa or something like that, and yeah. one of them said it was from New York City, and they're like, New York City? Get a rope, because you, know, <laughs> you can't get real salsa from New York City. That's the idea. Anyway. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you probably can't get it in Aren't New England. Aren't you glad we explained that? <laughs> no, you can't get good salsa in New England either, for the most part. Yeah, Unless you go much. to the Jamaican place here in Keene. And the, well, you don't get salsa, not but, salsa yeah. but it's pretty good hot sauce. Um, so a little bit more about what's happening in New York. You've got the police basically in a showdown with the city administration. The police, a good chunk of them, like 40%, have not gotten any vaccination, nothing. Hmm. And the city uh, boss, the mob boss there, is saying that he ain't going to pay them if they don't get it. What if we adopted the leftist slogan, workers of the world unite <laughs> for this method? Because if the if 40% of the police officers don't want to get vaccinated, the 20, 30% of healthcare workers, the people who work in restaurants, gas stations, everywhere who don't want to get vaccinated, what mm-hmm. if they actually stood their ground here? Well, maybe we're going to find out, which is going to be I would very, love to see that. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. I expect it's likely mostly going to be in courts, but in the meantime, these guys aren't going to go to work. I mean, why would they go to work if they're not getting paid? Because, yeah, they might get back pay if, you know, the, if the unions is successful at this. And they may be. Like, the unions are pretty strong, especially police unions in places like New York City. So there's a good chance they will prevail. But that also probably means that if the police are not going to work because they're not getting paid, they'll probably still get back pay anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like, they could sit at home 
and live off of their savings, they wouldn't be getting paid during those weeks at home. But if they're successful in court, it's likely they will get paid as though they were at work for the entire time because of whatever their union contracts say. Well, you, and you, you pointed out that uh, with with 40% of the, of the police not showing up to work, uh, it's not likely that there would be a big spike in crime. But we're talking about That's a union here. because cops don't here. stop crime. Right. Well, but we're talking about a union here. So it would... I mean, wouldn't that mean that all of them stop going to work? Ooh, that's an interesting question, because presumably it's a mandate to be in the police union in a, in a town like New York. So, so however long it takes the, the union to get its demands met, that might be no police. Ooh, this could be really interesting. <laughs> it would just be a reduction in revenue for New York City, though. As far as ticketing yeah. is concerned, yeah. Because cops true. don't actually prevent or stop crime. Uh, I mean, maybe they occasionally do they do. They, I mean, they the will investigate. era of peace erupting in New York City <laughs> as stop and frisk is well, a memory of the past. Yeah, but you also have to remember the police are corrupt. So the unions are corrupt. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I'm not saying the mayor isn't corrupt, too. Like, they're all corrupt. Mm-hmm. This is one of the biggest power towns, power, power cities out there. All these people are struggling over as much power as they can get. So it's likely the police will generate crime simply to make the point that, oh, see, mm-hmm. we're not around. And look, eh, places are getting robbed, eh? That's a very good point. Yeah. Because remember, we've seen the police doing all kinds of ginning up crime where in uh, the Minneapolis riots, it was in some cases allegedly the police that were doing things like smashing in store windows and throwing firebombs. And there have been plenty of examples of agents provocateur that have been caught in various different you know, protests and such, trying to start fights, trying to destroy property, trying to encourage other people to commit violence. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you f- you find this across the board. So, like, uh, the FBI will frequently create terrorists to catch them. The yes, CIA right. definitely creates terrorists to catch them. Like, they're the ones that invented Al-Qaeda. I, I mean, mean, the Whitmer kidnapping is one of the best cases of the FBI doing exactly that, where it was really? like, I think more than half of the people who were involved turned out to be FBI agents or FBI informants. Whitmer me- being the governor in Michigan. Yes. And there was some sort of plot to kidnap her or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that. And half of the people involved were FBI agents or informants who just yep. kept, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pushing people a little bit further toward extremism. Mm-hmm. These people right. would have never been inclined to that. They didn't have half of their friends being FBI agents trying to entice them to commit mm-hmm. a crime. We've seen and it happen. Paying them over. to do it. Yeah. And we've seen it happen over and over again with so called terrorism hundreds of times in the last 20 years. It's happened more than. It was several years ago when it was reported that it was at least 215 times that the, co- the FBI had set up somebody some sort of patsy somebody Mm -hmm. that otherwise as you say would never have done anything that they never would have taken these steps without having the fbi literally cajoling and encouraging them to take these steps just so they could make an arrest and say ah see we're stopping terrorism see how important it is to keep us around so this is going to be very interesting especially if they do what you're suggesting uh peakless mountaineer and that is to have the union actually hold together and Mm -hmm. not go to work at all Um, although I'm sure some of them will be tempted to break the, you know, the union scabs, yeah, the, the strike line or whatever. But what will that result in? I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. Meanwhile, there's, uh, let's see, 32. This is that's risky, too, because you don't want to upset a union that you will have to deal to with later. later mm-hmm. Yeah. 32 BJ SEIU. 
not exactly rolling off the tongue there, but that's one of those like school divisions in New York City, apparently. 32 BJSEIU. They've got a that Twitter account. That sounds like a bureaucratic nightmare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've got a Twitter account. It says, our COVID busters are out in full force, cleaning and disinfecting to make a safe return to the classroom possible. Good luck to all New York City students and staff on your first day back. And then hashtag back to school NYC. And then they include a video of a man dressed in some sort of a gown, uh, one of these like medical gowns. He's got gloves on. He's got a hairnet on. He's got a mask on. And he, yes, because you need a hairnet to prevent the spread of COVID nineteen. He is spraying some sort of chemical. He's got like one of those long handled devices with well, it's a probably tube, just Agent Orange. It's fine with a tube going to some sort of a backpack where the chemical is located. And he's literally just walking around in this school classroom, just spraying this stuff constantly into the air. Similar to what we saw of authorities in China doing. Very, very similar to the in the very beginning of uh, yes. COVID in you know 2020 in March. It looks very identical to that. And they want you to send your kids into this classroom after this guy has been going around spraying whatever chemical this is literally all over everything. We're poisoning you for your own good. I mean, does this look... Uh, you guys aren't seeing it, but you can imagine what I'm talking about here. Does that make you feel safe? Do you want to send your no, kids? No, it makes me feel distinctly less unsafe if I was one of the kids who had to go to this place. I'm not scared of nature. I'm scared to death of what human beings will do to one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, this stuff is whatever it is. It's just landing on every surface in that room. And you know how kids you know, put their hands in their mouths constantly. They're going to be touching the, the desktops. And whatever this chemical is, it's all over the place. And if you wanted to go to a school that didn't do this, you have to move. Yeah, I don't think New York City is real friendly to homeschooling. I'm just going to go out and and guess that New York City is not one of those places. In other news, researchers, according to, of all places, The Atlantic, which has been pounding the drum for COVID mandates and COVID regulations throughout this whole thing, surprisingly... They're admitting that there's been a study recently where researchers found 40 to 45 percent of hospitalizations that they examined to uh, concluded that patients were there for some other reason for admission, like cancer treatments. The COVID diagnosis they had was merely incidental. So of all the people that they're telling, oh, there's all these people in the hospital for COVID. These researchers are saying 40 to 45 percent of them never checked in because of COVID. They were just like cancer patients who happen to have COVID. Like, hey, I'm having a heart attack. Oh, we tested you. You have COVID, too. Or they picked it up while they were there. That's a possibility. So the numbers that they're giving you are not accurate in any way, shape, or form. Just like the numbers they've been giving for the last 18 months. And even they are admitting it. Some of them now at The Atlantic. Your calls are welcome. 603-283-6160. You can take control of the airwaves here. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Moments remain here. If you want to join us, you can. The number is 603-283-6160. Here in the studio with you tonight, it's Ian. Nicholas Mountaineer. And Arya. And again, you can bring up whatever 
you want to talk about. We've been discussing the situation in New York City, which is interesting in a variety of different aspects. You've got the mandate uh, coming down on the, the people of New York and, of course, the businesses of New York to enforce without any sort of compensation whatsoever, besides the fact that the government won't fine you. Uh, if you fascism in action, yeah. uh, the uh, the government gang is saying that uh, now there's going to be a vaccine passport that's mandatory for anyone going out and do ba- doing basically anything. Uh, we will see how many businesses actually resist that and how they fare, because this is starting today. This uh, began where apparently early reports were that the police are already going around quote-unquote enforcing they're just not writing tickets yet for this but they are demanding people show vaccine passports who are out at the various different businesses uh, that they are what whatever happened to the the law that congress wrote or whatever that you didn't have to share your medical history with people you mean hipaa yeah whatever happened to that wouldn't that be nice doesn't that still apply where i can be like hey look i don't have to share my medical history with you uh yes technically it does yeah, I don't know how that... Nothing ever know. repealed it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that's going to go, but uh, maybe somebody will try that approach. I have no idea. I would uh, like to see someone vaccinated try that approach and see how it goes. Yeah, sure. And there are... Stand there, up for your rights and see what happens. There are some vaccinated people who are opposing these laws. They, they say, look, you know, I, I got the vaccine for whatever reason, but I'm against these mandates. So, uh, oh, so they finally understand why we oppose the mask mandates. Maybe they do. Again, there's some of them. I'm not saying all of them or what percentage do, but there were apparently some protests in New York City as well recently. So, you know, they don't get they don't get a lot of press coverage, but there were apparently thousands of people that were protesting uh, the vaccine passport. So it has not gone completely Mm -hmm. unnoticed. Um, Some people are pretty upset about this and we'll keep you in the loop as we hear more about this as it develops. But there there have been there have been protests throughout the country immediately after the announcement of uh, of his intention to do the the, uh, 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 required vaccination for all the workers for the hundred uh, businesses with 100 employees. Mm -hmm. Even Walmart and some others are stepping forward and saying, hey, look, this is kind of a problem. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised Walmart's doing that. It's a group that represents Walmart and some other major corporations. Huh. I don't remember exactly who. Well, um, I obviously didn't read the article. I just briefly grazed it. In other news, or I guess related news, people are mad about uh, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. They a lot of people feel like this is the final straw that you know they want to see secession. They want to see states declaring independence. Uh, what are people doing in response? Well, F. Joe Biden chants break out at college football games across the country. Uh, This one's from Newsweek.com. And uh, since we're a little short on time, I'll I'll just say suffice it to say that at least four instances of of that chant breaking out at college football games in the last few days. I would expect that of colleges in the South, but to hear it across the nation is surprising. mm -hmm. Hmm. And the thing that the thing that gets me about this is like they're not actually protesting a man. I mean, everyone he's who just would, a puppet, right? And everyone who would who would say this knows that. Like he's Do they just. Though? Oh, I'm sure. Like everyone knows that he is that he's a puppet, uh, mm-hmm. and that he is, and that he has dementia. Like we don't trust mm-hmm. this man to tie his own shoes. So, I mean, the idea that he's some kind of like mastermind is utterly laughable. So I watched what, a video today from a Trump supporter that was called How to Speak Bidenese or something like that. It's really funny if you can find it. Uh, lots of stuttering. 
Yes. And just making up words. I, I can't remember any of them, but it's yeah. it's worth watching if anyone wants to look into oh, it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there are just so many videos about that. Like, you would not believe the number of videos about that. Hmm. And and there are these great compilations where, like, he announces that he has handlers where, like, uh, just yeah. like always, they tell me they who to me call to on. Yeah. So I'm going to start with this one. Right. And, oh, I can't talk about that or I'll get in trouble. Yeah, oh, he said that more than trouble. once. Yeah. No, there's whole compilations of him saying this over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're the leader of the free world, we thought. So, yeah. All but of- he is also senile, so maybe he, maybe they don't even exist. Maybe it is just it's a senile old man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It seems I plausible. Bet on that. <laughs> it seems plausible that he is just, you know, lifting back the curtain, in, not on purpose, but exactly. because he's senile. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he's he kind of forget he forgets to say the quiet part, not out loud. Right. The stage instructions. He's exactly. reading the stage instructions exactly. out loud. Right. So, uh, so the the just people, stack the soup cans. Yeah, and, and this is why this is just such a white pill for me. Like the people that would chant this, they don't think that he's a mastermind. Like they're not upset with Joe Biden the person, mm-hmm. but it's a really good handle to put on on the institution. But then why don't they chant "f the government"? Ah, uh, they're not willing to take that step just yet. Yeah. Because they want to be in charge of the government, and so they can ban it. abortion. Yeah. And there is, and there is that. Like they, they want revenge, mm. like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And you know, my government guys are good government guys, but your government guys are bad government guys. Even though Joe Biden is basically doing exactly what Donald Trump uh, did, mm-hmm. he's you know following a lot of the Trump policies. That they haven't really changed much of anything. They're still cracking down on immigration. Mm-hmm. They're still uh, one of the other things that uh, Biden did to follow Trump was to finish the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which, again, mm-hmm. I praised him for. He was right about that one. But he's done a lot. In fact, there's even people saying that he's now turning orange. Have you seen the photos? <laughs> I, have not. I don't know if they're modified or whatever. You know, if somebody's like <laughs> photoshopped or whatever, but they've they've showed Biden has looked like he's turning into an orange man. Wow. <laughs> and and people accused Biden. Uh, People, people accuse Trump of being fascist, but Biden has gone even more fascist oh, absolutely. than Trump has. Yeah, but it's not fascism when they do it. Sure. Even though it is. It is, obviously. Yeah, by yes. definition, it's absolutely fascism for the government to run corporations, right? To tell them what to do. Yeah. I mean, how do you know, how do you know it's tyranny? Well, they tell you to do what you don't want to do, and they punish you for not doing it. Pretty straightforward, pretty direct. But- and they, I mean, they use corporations as a way of doing this. So they're not actually going out there and finding individuals for not getting vaccinated or not being able to pre- present right. their vaccination pass. They're going to find the business. Because it's centralized. It's easier yeah. to target the center of a business than to go after 300 million or 80 million people or whatever. I think they said there's 80 million unvaccinated. So to, to go after those people with prosecutions is an impossible task. Yeah, but- that comes later after they already you know get rid of the whole actual justice system and they just have this shadow court system that's Mm -hmm. when they go after the individuals where they could just rubber stamp it and send you to the gulag for 15 years that's scary well and that's and that's the thing that's how history has played out this this seems to be to me this seems to be a sort of turning point where people are actually going okay no no this is too far and actually about to say like no government can't do this there are limitations to government power and we'll see well if you if you start down that road, then you kind of have to think, well, wait a second. 
what exactly are the limitations that government should have? Mm. And if you start thinking that, then this you go, why, wait a second. This is why I'm not convinced, though, that they're having any sort of awakening because they Texas, where you find a lot of these sorts of people, mm-hmm. literally just passed a law that basically banned abortion. So they're, they're not about, hey, my bodily autonomy is important or anything like that. No. They just... They want control their way. Well, so the the problem with that is that they believe that that is a human being. I don't care what they believe. They don't have the right to enforce their beliefs on me. Well, you know, I kind of like the idea that we have this place over here believes this. If you believe that, go to that place. Sure, I agree with that. This place over here believes this. If you believe that, go to that place. I don't disagree. They're just not about body autonomy. And these people believe that a fetus is not a human being. So if you want if you want the law of not murder, you know, the custom of not murdering people to be applied to fetuses, well, go over Move here where they believe that that's, that that's yeah. a, a human being. Yeah, but well, Except I think you- Texas, you can't leave to get an abortion or they'll still hit you with a $10,000 fine. But, really? Yeah. Wow. And, Only if you what, come back. Yeah, just move out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, they're not about body, body autonomy you're at both all. They absolutely right. want control. Yeah, they, these are people that... They're not giving up on the state. They just don't like one guy. As you said, they're not ch- chanting F the government. Yeah. They want to be in control and they want to be able to control people the way they want to control them. And that's why we need to encourage freedom loving people to move to New Hampshire because there are no other options out there. I saw another girl, uh, Ashton, who we interviewed. I think you interviewed her from Porkfest. Mm-hmm. She's moving to Florida. I'm like, didn't you look at the 101 reasons Liberty lives in New Hampshire first? You fell for the propaganda. I mean, the yep. Florida is not a free place. Oh, yeah. A lot of people moving to Florida and Texas because they state. think it is, and neither of those are free places, even though they have done a few things better than other places. Yeah. I mean, it's better than California, right. but almost everywhere is better yeah. than California, except New York. Well, New Hampshire has an upcoming constitutional amendment. Yeah, and that got filed today, by the way. The New Hampshire awesome. uh, Declaration of Independence. You can go to nhexit.us to learn more. We'll see you tomorrow night. It's Free Talk Live. When Monster Hunter International discovers one of Isaac Newton's wardstones being auctioned off, they decide to steal it and use it to destroy the Chaos God once and for all. But a mysterious thief upends their plan, and it soon becomes a race against time as something much older and infinitely more evil awakens in the jungles of South America. Monster Hunter Bloodlines by New York Times bestselling author Larry Correa and Bane Books. Visit MonsterHunterNation.com for more.